Let me encourage you to turn back in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2, page 948, the first of the two readings that Paul just read for us. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, page 948. I don't know whether you're any good at things around the house. I am absolutely useless at most things around the house. I'm useless at DIY. Uh, so bad that rather than call it do-it-yourself in our house, we call it B-I-Y, bodge-it-yourself, uh, because I do all the time. If ever I have to attach anything to a wall, uh, you know, put up a shelf, something like that, if I uh, successfully drill the first hole, and there's a big if on that, but if I do, inevitably the second place where the second hole has to go always has something solid behind it. Do you find that? And no matter how hard you push and how fast you put the rev speed on the, on the it just won't go. Either that or worse... It just, the wall just explodes and run the hole this size is one this size. And then I have to call Roger Wright in to patch it up. That's not a, a joke. He does, he comes and patches up the holes that I've tried to make and makes them smaller until they're the right size. Well, I don't know what you're like, but I'm hopeless at DIY. And because of that, the tiniest criticism, and I feel like saying, well, just do it yourself then. Remember, I'm doing a bit of decorating and uh, Caroline says, actually, the wallpaper should be the other way up. I say, look, just do it yourself then. You see, I get all agitated, even though, actually, she's got a point. Now, now because, I'm, because I'm so inept at DIY, if ever I do complete a task, I want to show everyone my handiwork. Uh, but even that seems to be a discouragement to me, because when I show people the fence that I built, I built a fence at our little house in Derbyshire, and I built this little fence, and I think it's fantastic Uh, this little wooden fence and it's still standing three years on so I think that's brilliant and uh, whenever I show people my little fence uh, it seems like nothing to them and I think that took me ages and it's still standing and I want them to be jumping around and patting me on the back and it just seems like nothing and actually when I think about it it is pretty pathetic it's nothing it seems that my uh, DIY experience uh, is not uh, only Uh, shared by others as far as DIY is concerned but it's also shared by many when it comes to building God's church Uh, most of us feel pretty inadequate in the task of evangelism and and Bible teaching and so the slightest criticism will make us want to do what I do and say well just get on with it yourself then and even when we do see growth and development in the church when we tell others about it it seems like nothing to them do you find that? I get very excited about one conversation that I've had with anybody about Jesus. And uh, when I tell others that I've had this brilliant conversation about the gospel, uh, as I'm telling them, I can see them glazing over. It seems so insignificant. It's not even that somebody's become a Christian. I just talk to somebody about Jesus and that gets me excited. We can be very excited about the work at Fullwood. And we say, look, there's loads of people and, and yet tell your friends or even bring them along. And it all seems pretty ordinary, really, doesn't it? Really? The crowd we draw is nothing compared to Bramwell Lane or Hillsborough. And it's off the map if we compare it to the hordes who flock to Meadow Hall. So you might get really excited about what's happening, about the building up of God's church, but you show others and they they say, so what? Compared to other things, the church seems like nothing. And so, you see, it is very easy to be discouraged in the work of building God's church, either because you don't think you're very good at it or because when you do see something happening, it doesn't seem very impressive to anyone else. And that is what is happening as we arrive in Haggai chapter 2. You see, last week at the end of chapter 1, we saw how the Lord stirred up the people of God to start rebuilding the Lord's house. It was a remarkable transformation. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord had spoken to them through Haggai, or notice the dates, the first day of the sixth month. 
And chapter 1, verse 15, on the 24th day of the sixth month, they all began work on the temple. Uh, Just three weeks then, and they'd gone from being a people who were more bothered with their own comfort, with feathering their own nests, with building their own homes. They had gone from that to being revived by the Lord. Three weeks. And the living God had turned this bunch of self-centred individuals into a group of hard-working servants. They were now a people with the Lord's priorities, rebuilding the temple, wanting the Lord's name to be honoured and no longer dishonoured because the temple was in ruins. It was a remarkable turnaround in three weeks. Well now, at the beginning of chapter 2, we join God's people one month on, one month into the building project. You see, the dates are very important. Chapter 2, verse 1, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. So for four weeks, uh, the temple had been a building site, teeming with God's people wearing their hard hats and and hobnail boots. Ordinary people who'd been turned into surveyors and stonemasons and bricklayers and and hod carriers. And I guess a whole army of old ladies making endless cups of tea and bacon sandwiches to keep the workers going. Well, maybe not bacon sandwiches if you know that we're talking about Jews. But anyway, you get the point. Four weeks they had been labouring away, rebuilding the temple, but already... Already they were being mightily discouraged. And if you've got a little handout and you're following things, then here's the first point. Beware comparisons with the past. You see, verse 1, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and verse 2, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? They'd only been working on the temple for four weeks and the foundation of the temple hadn't even been laid. We'll see that next week. Yet some people, it seems, were comparing the new temple with the grandeur of the old temple, with Solomon's temple. You see, I don't think this is the Lord saying to them, oh, have a look, it doesn't seem like anything, does it? But actually the Lord is revealing what some people were saying. Some people were comparing this temple with the old temple, verse 3, uh, the old guard was saying, uh, this doesn't seem like anything, does it? Uh, the exile lasted for 70 years, so it was all the over 70s who'd seen the temple in its former glory. It's not difficult to imagine their comments as they sat and watched the rebuilding work. Call that a temple? <laughs> you should have seen the, the old one. Now that was a temple. See, the problem is you just can't get the workmen these days, can you? And so here are a disgruntled bunch of old church members living their lives in the past, reminiscing about how it used to be in the good old days. But in doing that, they were despising the good work that was going on in the present You see, we've seen the the people of God had been transformed in these last two months. They were getting on with the work. They now had God's priorities. What a terrible thing to discourage them. It is a real danger, though, for any who've been around in the Christian life for a while. It is so easy, isn't it, to look at the past through those rose-coloured spectacles and then to criticise the present. I have a friend, he's a Christian youth worker, who who is seeing people becoming Christians and Christians growing in their maturity, yet he is regularly discouraged by the Christians around him, the mature, so-called mature Christians around him. 
He's working in a situation where a generation ago there was a huge youth group. I mean, it was just enormous. And tons of those youth, work, uh, youth people in the youth world have now gone on to be great Christian leaders themselves. And now people in the church look back to those days as the glory days. And they compare the youth work that he's doing now with the successes of the youth work back then and he is terribly discouraged, even though he is seeing fruit. He's discouraged by the comparisons with the good old days. Friends, if you've been a Christian for a while, be careful what you say. It is so easy to discourage people by harping on about those glorious past days. Often, actually, they weren't that great, but you remember them as fantastic. Of course, if the work isn't being done, then we may well need to look back to better days to remind us how far we've fallen, to see what could be achieved, to give us a kick up the spiritual backside. That's what the Lord did in Haggai chapter 1. But where gospel work is being done, and by now it is, when the Lord has stirred up his people to have his priorities, and where the task of making disciples is happening then please be very careful not to discourage faithful Christians by comparing their work to the successes of the past. See, the work of building up the church takes time. That's the nature of any building work, isn't it? It always takes longer than you expect. Uh, When I worked in London, my my study overlooked the BBC building at the top of Regent Street. Um, During the the time that I I worked there, there was a a huge multi-million pound building project on, on that BBC building. And uh, I kind of overlooked it. And at the times when I wasn't getting on with my work, which wasn't very often, of course, I looked out of the window to see what was going on. And um, the first part of it was all about demolishing. Before they did any building, they were knocking down. And then uh, when the old buildings had all been removed, it seemed to me like ages before they made any progress because they were digging down, they were laying foundations. Building work takes time. It's always hard work. Now, authentic gospel work is like that. It takes time, it's hard work. And at times, it doesn't seem to be very spectacular. A little conversation here, a little group started there, a little bunch of people praying over there. Certainly doesn't seem to match up to past glories. Our last thing we need is discouragement. I mean, think about our mission partners as I've been preparing this, toiling to spread the gospel in tough situations. Some spending hours every day on Bible translation, perhaps working on the same project for years, having dealt with, with just a few verses in, in, the last, uh, in the last goodness knows how long, trying to get the Bible translation right. They must feel as if they're regularly getting nowhere. At times, verse 3, does it seem like nothing to them? Well, yeah, it does. Other missionaries of ours are being faithful in, in aggressively Islamic countries where a word out of place will see them deported or arrested or worse. They have to be so careful with every relationship they build. Week on week, year on year, they may seem as if they're getting nowhere. Do you not think, verse 3, their work may seem to them like nothing? Think of our partner churches in, 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 in this country, in Kendry and Kilnhurst. It's been terrific to see the growth at St Andrews Kendry in these last couple of years since Pete Jackson arrived. It's been amazing, moving from less than 20 people to more than 50 people attending on a Sunday. 
But if they begin to compare themselves to other churches or to maybe past years, I don't know how big the congregations have been in those churches in the past, but they could easily be discouraged. They could easily say, verse 3, does this seem like nothing? Now that's what the old guard were doing with those working on the temple in Haggai's day. But be sure as we read on, the Lord doesn't see it like that. This is a wonderfully encouraging passage. Uh, preaching at the same time as Haggai, some of you might know, was another great prophet. Um, you don't need to turn to him, but he's, uh, he's the next page on. His name was Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, he asked the question, who despises the day of small things? You could put it into a statement. Don't despise the day of small things. The point is this, the Lord doesn't count any real gospel work as insignificant. Any work that is the work of faithfully building up the church numerically and doctrinally, any work like that is significant in the Lord's eyes. Don't despise the day of small things, even if it doesn't seem very spectacular to you and me. Beware comparisons with the past. Secondly, be assured of the Lord's presence as you're about this work uh, of building up the temple. Look at verse 4. But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all your people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. See how the Lord responds when some want to compare the work on the new temple with the glory days of Solomon's temple. He says, carry on the work. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Keep working. I am with you. It's a brilliant word, isn't it, to people who are discouraged? Whenever we're about building up God's church, we can be sure, absolutely sure he's with us, even if it doesn't feel like it. When we are following the architect's plans, when we're about that work, the great work that he's doing in his world, then have no doubt at all he's with you. He's with us. It's what he said all the way through the the Bible, all the way through the history of God's people. We hear this same thing, I am with you. My spirit remains among you. Remember, it's what the Lord said uh, to Moses when he was reluctant to lead God's people out of Egypt. Do you remember that? Exodus chapter 3 verse 12, God said, I will be with you. When we're about that work of taking people out of slavery, out of slavery to sin, to the gospel, well then he says, I'm with you. It's what the Lord said to Joshua as, he read, as, as Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. Do you remember that? Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I'll be with you. When we're about that same work of taking people into the promised land, to the new creation, getting them to heaven, what does the Lord say? I'm with you in that. I'm with you. My spirit is with you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, didn't he? Do you remember uh, Matthew chapter 28? Go and make disciples of all nations and surely I am with you until the very end of the age. When we're about that gospel work of making disciples, he says, I'm with you. It doesn't seem very spectacular. I'm with you. I'm with you in that. My spirit's among you. Is that brilliant? It's what he says. When some people are trying to discourage them, he says, actually, you couldn't ask for more. The Lord Almighty is with you in that. Think of a ministry trainee working for hours on a talk for a Christian union. When he arrived, there was only a handful of people who turned up. 
He spent hours on this talk. A handful of people turned up. Was it worthwhile? Ah, oh, yeah, verse 4, the Lord was with him. Because he was doing the work of building up the church. His work was significant. May not look very spectacular. The Lord was with him in it. I think of the Christian mum at home with her children, doing all the mundane things of washing and cleaning and ironing and changing dirty nappies, every day filled with ordinary things, playing with the children, reading to them, making things with them. But her longing and her desire is that she sees these little ones grow up to be wholehearted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can we say to her? She's going through the ordinary and the mundane. The Lord is with you. It's significant. I was speaking to somebody this week who finds his word, his, his word, boring. He finds his work boring. I guess there's a few people like that. And a lot of you have great jobs. You love doing jobs. Some people are dreading Monday morning. Sunday night is not an exciting time because they know that Monday morning's just around the corner. And you know, if that's you, when you are doing your work to God's glory, striving for excellence, standing against injustice, speaking out for Christ, making yourself a good witness in the workplace, then the Lord is with you. Isn't that brilliant? See, as we bring our life's work in line with the architect's plans, we can be sure he's with us in it, verse 4, and his spirit remains among us, verse 5. Beware comparisons with the past. Be assured of the Lord's presence. Thirdly, be sure the work is permanent. That probably should be be assured the work is permanent, verses 6 to 9. See, being about the work of building up God's church really counts. Look what he says in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, when I come, uh, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. We're going to have a look at uh, the book of Hebrews in a moment and see how what he's saying there is that the work he's doing is absolutely unshakable when he's building up his temple. I was uh, speaking to someone close to me uh, a while back, someone who's in the twilight years of her life and she said this to me. She said, sometimes I look back over my life and I wonder if it means anything at all. Looking back over my life, I just wonder if it means anything. Uh, people often think that in old age, especially when they're diagnosed with a terminal illness. At the end of life, they, they look back and just wonder what was it all about. Now, we'll all do that. Oh, some of us won't. Some of us, our lives will be taken like that. But if we get to old age, we'll look back on it and we'll reflect. What was that all about? And if life hasn't been lived productively, it is a devastating question. What was that all about? It was devastating because you can't turn the clock back. In his diaries, the, the actor Kenneth Williams, Kenneth Williams wrote, I wonder if anyone will ever know about the emptiness of my life. The last entry in his diary on the last day of his life, he simply wrote this, Oh, what's the bloody point? Devastating conclusion to a life, isn't it? A life that you and I might have thought was quite successful. He was very famous. Can you imagine reaching the end of your life and concluding that it counted for nothing? There was no point at all. And look, the Christian need never, need never think that way. The Christian with the most modest life 
what we might call the most ordinary person. Somebody who's not famous at all, that no one really knows, apart from their close friends. But the Christian dedicated to the work of the Lord need never say, what's the point? Because if we've brought our lives in line with the Lord's purposes, when our lives are dedicated to the building up of the temple, the building of God's church, then our life really counts. That's what he's saying here about this not being shaken. Do you see it there, verse 6? I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. Now, how do I know that's what he's talking about? Well, uh, come with me. Keep your finger in Haggai. And come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the reason we had the second of these two readings read tonight. Page 1211. And we'll see how the New Testament picks up this phrase about the shaking of the heavens and the earth. It's great when you have a, a, a New Testament, um, when the New Testament picks up an Old Testament phrase uh, from, from, from an Old Testament book, It'll give you the control so you know what it actually means. You don't have to guess what it means. And if you look at page 1211 and Hebrews chapter 12, you'll see what it means, this shaking of the heavens and the earth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Talking about the Lord. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. You see, here's the quote from Haggai. And the writer to the Hebrews points to this great day in the future, a day when the heavens and the earth will be shaken. A day when, he says in verse 27, everything will be shaken and all created things will be removed. A day when what cannot be shaken will remain though. Can you picture it? It's going to be like this huge earthquake and anything that is shaky will will come to nothing but there will be something that never, ever falls. Something that is immovable, unshakable. What is it? Look at verse 28. God's kingdom cannot be shaken everything else one day will be destroyed under the effect of this mega earthquake God's kingdom never shaken and that is why building up God's kingdom building up the church numerically and strengthening believers is the most important thing that we can ever do because it lasts forever it can never be shaken that's why no matter how small it looks when we are doing gospel work it is significant isn't that brilliant Ask yourself this evening, what else can I do that will last forever? That will last once I am dead and buried. That will last for all eternity. What else can I do? We put so much time and thought and effort and money into temporary things, things that won't last beyond this life. But when you are nearing the end of your life and you look back and you ask, what was that all about? What was the point? To know that you've invested in things that last into eternity will be wonderfully comforting. But remember, you can't turn the clock back. So to know that comfort then, at the end of your life, you've got to invest in building God's kingdom now. It may seem like nothing to you, but don't despise the day of small things. Gospel work will not be shaken. I think of a young, keen Christian guy. He took every chance he could to tell people the gospel. But he never seemed to get very far. 
He was keen, but he just didn't eat. He's a bit like me and DIY. He just wasn't very good at it, as far as he thought. As far as he knew, he never influenced anyone to actually become a follower of Jesus Christ. But, you know, some years later, his mum told him that it was his changed life that had been the most influential thing in her becoming a Christian. That's great, isn't it? It's no small thing. I love the story of a man walking along a beach early one morning. As he walked along the beach, away in the distance, coming in the other direction, uh, towards him down the beach, was another man. And he couldn't quite see because he was so far away, but he kept seeing this man bend down and throwing something, a little splash, into the sea. And as he got closer to the other man, uh, he saw that there were hundreds, maybe even probably thousands of starfish that had been washed up onto the beach. And then he saw what the other man was doing as he was coming closer. As he was walking along, he was, he was bending down, picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the sea and then walking a bit further and picking another one up. And he said, what are you doing? And the man explained. He said, I'm throwing these starfish back into the sea because they won't survive out of the water. And he said, but there's hundreds of starfish, maybe thousands, you can't possibly throw them all back. You've already walked past dozens of them, maybe, maybe even hundreds of them. What difference does it make? And looking at the starfish in his hand, as he threw it into the sea, he said, it makes a difference to this one. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise any work that is gospel work and in line with that big day when, as we see in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. When he says, I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty. What a huge encouragement for the people of Haggai's day. And I've got another whole point, but I don't think we've got time for it, and it's basically this. The Lord says here now, he says, he goes on to say, uh, that the glory of this house is going to be greater than the glory of the house, that Solomon's house. Uh, and why does he say that? Because, of course, the Lord Jesus came to this house. He is the desired of all nations of verse 7. Oh yeah, he came and he filled the house with glory. When he came, oh the house was filled with glory because when you meet the living God then you meet the most glorious person uh, you could ever meet. And when he met, uh, when the Lord Jesus came to the temple, uh, then then of course the temple was more glorious uh, than anything that had happened in Solomon's day. And that is why we think the church is even more glorious than the temple they were building. Because the Lord promises to inhabit his people. Isn't that wonderful? He dwells among us, not in this building. As soon as we walk out, it's just a building. While we're here, the Lord is dwelling among us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fantastic? That is glorious. And as people come and meet with us, you know what they can find? They can find peace. Do you see it there at the end of verse 9? And in this place, I will grant peace. Uh, Not this place, not us, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, people find peace. I I had a great conversation with someone uh, earlier uh, this week. It was one of those conversations that I was really excited about. Um, uh, Somebody at the tennis club, a friend of mine, we were talking about Christmas and I was telling him about how, how many people had attended church over Christmas. And he said, oh, I wish I, 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 it, was some, it was something that I could believe. And we talked about how belief was not about just mustering up faith from within. I, you know, I got that feeling that he was thinking, well, if I could only believe it, you know, but it's not in me, I can't. 
I said, well, it's not something you muster up from within you. You don't have to just try harder to believe. Uh, No, faith is about, firstly, looking into the rational facts. And so after we chatted, just for a short time, I invited him to Christianity Explored. Uh, Now, he didn't take up my invitation to come. But as he left me, he said, you know, it would be such a relief to believe. Uh, That's what people can have in Jesus Christ, a relief to believe, because he gives them peace, end of verse 9. Isn't that wonderful? I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's one or two here who, who would say the same. It would be a relief to believe. Maybe that's why you've come along. Maybe you've been coming for a little while. Maybe you've just come along for the first time tonight. It would be such a relief to believe. Well, you can have peace in the Lord Jesus Christ, peace with God, knowing that when you come to the end of your life, everything ultimately is okay beyond the grave. Wouldn't it be great too to think you've got a reason for living now so that when you get to the end of your life you look back and you think, I know what that was all about. I live for him. Isn't this wonderfully encouraging, Haggai chapter 2? At the end, uh, in this chapter, Haggai says to us, don't be discouraged. Or people might say, what you're doing doesn't seem like anything compared to the glory days, to the great days of the past. Don't let them put you off. The Lord is with you. When you're about his work, he is with you, his spirit is among you. And be sure that you are working for something that lasts when you're about his work. Isn't that brilliant? Well, let's pray together now.